0: The following message is presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Now, the message. Thank you, Church, for welcoming me back again a second time uh, to share God's Word with you. So excited to be here in this chilly morning and a beautiful drive down here to join you this morning. So let's pray together before we go to God's Word. Lord, we thank you for all that you do for us, God. and We ask that you be with us here this morning as we uh, dive into your Word, uh, guide us, lead us, uh, help your Word to, 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 um, to cause us to live for you in a much deeper and more satisfying way as we look at the Beatitudes this morning. We thank you for all you do, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I heard a story about a group of thieves and they decided to break into a jewelry store but their plan was a little bit unusual rather than steal anything all they did was switch the price tags of everything the next day no one could tell what was valuable and what was cheap they walked in the next day all of them and bought all of the cheap jewelry and walked out with a fortune after that the customers who came to the, into the store thought they were purchasing very valuable things, but they were actually getting really cheap things. And those who couldn't afford the highest priced items, they were leaving with the fortune. Now, I'm not telling you this story so that I can give you an idea, but I wonder if it's a bit of a picture of what's going on in our world today. What do I mean by that? Sometimes today, it's hard to tell what's valuable and what's not. Great value is given by people to things that God says we shouldn't value. And on the other hand, very little value is often given to things by people that God says we should value very greatly. So the price tags are all switched around today. Stuff that God calls evil and sinful, we have called acceptable and okay. We tolerate. So how do we get our bearings? How do we understand what we should be valuing? Well... God's word is really our source, the Bible. Specifically, I'm excited this morning because I believe the Beatitudes is really one part of the Bible that helps us to unscramble the mess that we're in. It tells us very clearly what God values, what God says we should value. You can find them in Matthew 5, verses 3 through 12. There are eight statements by Jesus, known as the Beatitudes. Each of them begin the same way. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The term Beatitude comes from a Latin word, which means happiness. And even the Greek word we translate here to blessed also means happy. In essence, the words from Jesus here are keys to happiness and keys to satisfaction truth is that we have so many unhappy and unsatisfied people in our world today, and even in our churches. Why is it that so many are unsatisfied, even though they have so much that supposedly is supposed to satisfy? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to think about that question as we dive into uh, one of the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the fourth beatitude, Matthew 5, 6, which says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Another Greek word here here that we translate to satisfied here is an important word because it means truly satisfied. It means to have one's fill, to be completely content. That's really what it means. It means to be truly and deeply satisfied. Satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be truly and deeply satisfied. So Jesus is saying that there is something that will truly and deeply satisfy your life. Why is it that so many people are unsatisfied? Well, I believe it's because they're looking in the wrong place. They value the wrong things. The price tags are switched around. You know, God said this through the prophet Jeremiah thousands of years ago. He said these words in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. He said, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. I want you to think about that. The human tendency really is to direct our hunger and our thirst for sources other than God but they can never really satisfy us because they're just like these broken cisterns that Jeremiah is talking about. They can't hold water. There are many broken cisterns that we can talk about, but I want to mention just three of the most common ones, and then we're going to dig deeper into what Jesus is saying in this verse. So the three broken cisterns that for many of us um, that we struggle with. The first one is pleasure. Let me say this point real quick. Pleasure itself is not sinful. Hear that, church. Pleasure itself is not sinful. God is the author of all pleasures. In fact, in the Bible it says, In his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures are not sinful. There's going to be lots of pleasures in heaven. But when pleasure is taken out of the sphere of which God intended, then those pleasures become sinful or when those pleasures are indulged in excess beyond what God wanted then those pleasures become sinful take sex for example between a man and woman who are married together God says enjoy but take it outside that context then that pleasure becomes sinful and wrong or take food for example we all enjoy a good meal I love steak I really really love pizza I grew... when my first job... one of my first jobs was uh, at a pizza place it was a buffet love buffets, and I could eat pizza every day still to this day, okay? And don't forget chocolate. I love chocolate, too. But there's a fine line between eating and overeating, between having a snack and kind of gorging yourself. And how many of us have had that urge, that snack urge, right? Late at night or, or uh, another time, something salty, something sweet, and you raid the pantry, you stuff yourself. Afterwards, you finish the whole box of chocolates, you finish the whole bag of chips, and you're feeling sick. Right? You're not satisfied, are you? You know, many people are like that in real life, in life. They'll try anything. They'll break the rules. They'll get drunk. They'll have one-night stands. But when it's all said and done, they feel guilty because it doesn't satisfy. The Bible does say something important for us to understand. Hebrews 11.25, it speaks about Moses. It says Moses chose to be mistreated with, people, with the people of God rather than enjoy fleeting pleasures of sin. So that tells us something important. It tells us that sin can be pleasurable. Right? If it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. But notice the key word here, fleeting. It means temporary. Fleeting, temporary. Yes, sin can bring pleasure, but this verse says they're fleeting, they're temporary. Sin gives you thrill one minute. Shame, guilt pain, the next. We don't find satisfaction in sinful pleasures. Now, another broken cistern that even us Christians, we can kind of think uh, will be good and satisfy is success. Success. Performance. Listen to these words in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 22 and 23. The question, What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. That's a good verse for those of us who are workaholics. There's a myth that says satisfaction can be gained just from being successful, from performing. If you perform well, you'll be successful. Then you'll be happy. That's just not always true. Some of the most successful people are the most dissatisfied on the inside. They get the promotion, they get the job they've always wanted, the salary that they've always dreamed about, the house they always hoped for, the relationship that they longed for. But those nagging thoughts don't go away. I'm bored. I'm restless. Something seems to be missing in my life. There must be more than this. The reason for those thoughts is that you won't find lasting success and you won't find lasting satisfaction in success. The pursuit of success with the hope that it will bring happiness can be compared with climbing a ladder. I heard this a while ago, the idea idea of someone climbing a ladder and you're climbing and each step that you go up, each rung that you go up, and you're hoping that with with each new job, each successful achievement, you get higher and higher and you finally get to the top, you reach exactly what you hoped for, you achieve that job, you achieve that goal, you get that promotion, but you, when you get to the top, you realize that the ladder is leaning up against the wrong wall. The ladder you thought would bring satisfaction is against the wrong wall. It's a broken cistern. It can't hold water. So there's pleasure, there's success, and there's another broken cistern that won't really satisfy. But it's one that, I think we, that, we, think we, that we think can, and we think that it will. You know this one too. It's possessions. Right? We think if I could have just a little bit more money, if I could just win the lottery and all my problems will be solved, I'll be able to buy this, I'll be able to buy that. In actual fact, for many people that have won the lottery, it became a real problem for them. They had so much money that suddenly they had people coming out of everywhere that wanted a piece of it. They began to lose all self-control, spending on all kinds of things. Some went bankrupt. People in their family were suing them to get their supposed share. In some of the interviews I've seen, the people actually said, I wish I hadn't won the lottery. Wow! You mean all that money didn't satisfy you? The scripture says in Ecclesiastes 1.8, it says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. More ads on television and online say, if you buy this, you'll be happy. If you buy this product, you'll be better off. You'll be satisfied. Satisfaction guaranteed. But you know what? Today there's probably two or three times as many products, and we have an easier way to get to them than we did ten years ago. But are people twice as happy? doesn't seem that way, does it? I heard a story about a man, and he was really upset with his wife. She had this habit of buying really expensive clothes. And so it was kind of breaking their bank accounts. One day the husband found a receipt that had been stuffed in a drawer. Um, He said, honey, what's this? She said, well, it's a dress I bought for $500. He said, what? How could you? That's a lot of money. We don't have that money. He said, what do you have to say for yourself? She said this, she said, you know, I went to the mall and I was walking around and I saw this dress in the window of the store and it looked so nice and I wondered how it would look like on me. So I went in and I tried it on and I knew it was a lot of money. It was kind of like the devil was whispering, you look really good in that dress. So the husband said, well, look, you know what to do, how to deal with the devil. Just say, get behind me, Satan. The wife said, I did, I did. But then he said, it looks great from back here, too. We are so bombarded every day with the thought that this will make you happy, things will make you happy, possessions the more you have the better off you'll be, but in actual fact listen to this verse, Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. These words are thousands of years old and yet they're so relevant to us today. Why? Because it's the Word of God. God's Word is timeless. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It can speak to your heart. It can speak to my heart today on this very issue. You know, the poor will say something like this. they say, oh, if I could could just get some more money, then all my problems will be solved. But the rich know that's not true. The new clothes you got last week already lost their excitement. The new piece of furniture you bought last month, you're already bored with. Why? Because we can't get satisfactions in possessions. You can't get it in pleasure, you can't get it in success. I appreciate the words of C.S. Lewis, I think they'll put them on the screen for us here. He said this, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Isn't that true? If we can't get satisfaction in all these things that we hope for, then what does it say? It means that we weren't made just for this world. We're spiritual beings. The hungers and thirsts of our life can't be satisfied by anything that this world offers. How then can they be? That's exactly what Jesus comes and he says in the Beatitudes, he says in Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are those who, are hung, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The ones who truly experience satisfaction are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's think about this a little bit deeper today. Maybe you're saying, what is righteousness? If it's going to bring satisfaction, if my hunger and thirst is for righteousness, tell me what it is. Tell me what righteousness is. Well, let's take a look at that word, how it's used. Here in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus uses it it a couple times. Take a look in your Bible with me. Look at Matthew 5, verse 10. There are four different places I want to look at. And we're going to look at how that term righteousness, how it's used by Jesus. Because when we see how Jesus uses it, it gives us a clue. It gives us a clue to what it means. We don't have to define it, but we're going to let the Bible define it for us the first verse Matthew five ten, says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven think about that for a minute I want you to notice that this tells you something about righteousness it tells you that righteousness it tells you that righteousness is a truly godly lifestyle why do we know that? Because Jesus is saying here in this verse that there's a characteristic, there's a quality of righteousness that when it's seen on a person, it brings opposition onto them. It's different from the world. Why do we, um, it's something that's visible to others. It's something that's tangible. It's a truly godly lifestyle, one that honors God, one that pleases Him, one that seeks to obey His Word. A truly godly lifestyle. Now I want you to go to Matthew 5.20. In this verse, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this verse needs a little bit of explanation. The Pharisees, they had a religious system that centered around doing things, attendance at the temple, strict rules, regulations, and a lot of man-made traditions. All their traditions and their rules, though, could be compared to. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you've ever gone to the gym or, or or finished a workout and instead of showering, you put on extra deodorant or cologne. I'm guilty of this. And Brother Paul probably remembers back in the early 2000s, they invented this uh, uh, miracle spray. It was called Bo- uh, Axe Body Spray, and it didn't work. Okay, you can't really cover up body odor. Eventually. It makes his way out. Okay, I think that's what Jesus is getting at uh, here, is that true righteousness starts in the heart and flows outward. The Pharisees said the right things, they did the right things, on the outside, but for many, on the inside, in, in their hearts, they, weren't, they, weren't, they were not in it. If you try to start on the inside, it doesn't work like that. It starts if you start excuse me, let me say that, if you start on the outside, it doesn't work like that. It starts on the inside. It must work its way out. That's what we learn here from Matthew 5 verse 20. Next verse is Matthew six verse one. "Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order, that, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven." What do we learn about righteousness here? Well, the Pharisees, again, we have to understand the context. They love to pray in public. They love to dress up in their religious garb. They love to throw their offering into the plates, and, the, and, and they love to throw coins. They love to throw more coins in smaller denominations so people would hear the noise and assume, and assume they were giving more. They love the praise of others. Jesus said to his followers that we should not be like that. That the kind of righteousness that we are to hunger for, that we are to thirst for, is one that's not seeking credit from, or praise from people, but it's the kind where we're trying to please God. So we're no longer seeking the praise of others. That's another thing about righteousness. True righteousness does not seek the praise of other people. And now look at Matthew 6, 33. Here's the fourth verse that we're going to think about in regards to righteousness, and it's important. It says, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. This touches on the priorities of life. What are your priorities? What are you seeking in life? What are you seeking first? Are you seeking first more money? Are you seeking first to try to make a name for yourself? More security? Or just happiness? What are you seeking first? God says we are to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. So, what is true righteousness then? It's seeking God and His approval above all. Let's put all this together. Let's put these four things together here. What did we learn about righteousness just from these passages? Well, number one, we are to hunger and thirst for a truly godly lifestyle one that starts in the heart and flows outward begins in the heart, meaning that it begins with having a right relationship from God, a right relationship with God, and it goes from there. Number three, no longer seeking to praise the praise of others. And four, a righteousness that causes us to seek God and his approval above all. It's pretty hard, right? Ultimately, righteousness also has a name. Another verse I want you to see, put it on the screen here, it's 1 Corinthians 30. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God righteousness and sanctification and redemption This verse says that by definition that righteousness ultimately is Jesus That is what this verse is saying He is our righteousness He is the essence of righteousness He lived perfectly A perfectly righteous life. All the four things that we just learned, Jesus did perfectly. He had a true and right relationship with God. He had a true and godly lifestyle that flowed from the inside outward. He didn't seek the praise of men. He sought only to please his Father in heaven and give praise to him. Jesus defines righteousness for us by his life. And so when it comes down to it, Here's the big takeaway. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is to hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ. It's to hunger and thirst after a relationship with Him above all. It's to hunger and thirst for Him. To hunger and thirst after righteousness is to hunger and thirst after Jesus Christ. Now I, want to, now I want to draw your attention to a couple of things, statements made by Jesus. Two of them, in fact. One in John chapter 6, and then one in John chapter 4. And then we're going to put it all together. Okay, John six thirty five. speaking on this very thing. Jesus spoke about himself. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There are those two words, hunger and thirst again. And what Jesus is saying, he is saying, I can satisfy your hunger and thirst. Bread is a really basic element of life. It's nourishment, it's food. That was so, especially for the people in Jesus' time. Jesus is saying, just like you need bread to live physically, you need me to live spiritually. I don't know if you know this, but there's this new age spiritual movement that says and encourages people to find the spark of divinity inside themselves to fill their spiritual needs. When you really think about that, I would compare it to this. If you're really hungry, when you're really hungry, what do you do? When you want pizza or or, uh, etouffee or whatever, you don't tell your stomach to feed itself. That just doesn't work. You have to go to an outside source. You have to go to a restaurant. You have to go get that food. You can't just command your stomach to feed itself. You have to go to an outside source. In the same way, when there's a spiritual vacuum in your heart and your life, we can't say, be your own God. Because that leaves you just as empty as before. You have to go to an outside source who is your creator, who knows you, the one who created you, that someone is Jesus. God the Son, He's the bread of life. Jesus said, come to me. He Who comes to me will never go hungry. What an amazing claim this is. He's also water for a thirsty soul. Look at John 4 13 through 14. Another amazing claim. Look what he says Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know that water is even more important than food? Did you know that? You can go for weeks without food, but you can only go a few days without water. You need water to survive every cell in your and your body needs water. And when you understand that, how important and vital it is, it puts these words into a new perspective, doesn't it? He is saying, you need me. You will perish without me. I appreciate the insight of um, John Piper. He's a pastor and teacher and author. On this topic, he pointed out in one of his messages that when you, take the, the, when you take John 6, 35 and John 4, 13 through 14, you take those claims that Jesus is making and you put them together, three verbs pop out. You, you notice them? I'll point them out he, come, he, he who comes to me that's one He who believes in me and whoever drinks the water I will give him So in the same way the point is that our, our appetites are not filled unless we do something about them The point is that our appetites are not filled until you do something about them In the same way that when you're hungry you go get food when you're spiritually hungry you need to do these three things Number one, come to Jesus. Number two, believe in Jesus. Number three, drink of Jesus and what he offers. Let me explain those. First of all, you have to come to Jesus. You admit you need him. Going, you stop going down the path of your own desires, the path of sin, your own direction. You stop trying to satisfy yourself with selfish ambition Shallow goes, and you turn, to, you turn around and you come to Jesus. That's repentance. Then you believe in Christ. You believe in him. You believe he died for your sins. You believe he rose again from the dead. You believe that what he offers is better than what the world offers. You believe that satisfaction won't be found in those pleasures or success or possessions. It will only be found in a relationship with Jesus because he is the prince of righteousness. Now, I suspect that most of you have taken those steps because you're sitting here today. You've taken the first two steps. You've come to Jesus. You believe in Jesus. But maybe you're not satisfied in your spiritual life. Maybe you know there must be more to the Christian life than just going to church, going to Bible study. You feel kind of like something is missing in your life. You feel a desire for something more something deeper and if that desire is there guess what because there is there is really deeper that's because we not only need to come to Jesus we need to believe in Jesus but he invites us to drink to drink of Jesus let me ask you these questions do you hunger and thirst for God Do you hunger and thirst for Jesus? Do you really want to know Jesus more? Do you want to spend time with him each day? You see, there needs to be a drinking. That's sort of like going to Christ every day, going to Jesus every day, a daily thing. That's what Jesus is talking about. Blessed are those those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The Apostle Paul said this to Philippians he said, Nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. That word surpassing there means that it's just this tremendous tremendous thing that we get when we get to know Jesus. You can come to Christ, you can believe in Christ, you can know Christ, but if you but you can keep knowing him more. You can know him deeper. And more. It's a daily thing. To drink a price is to come to him and say, You are the one I need today. Try it. You're the one I need today. All those other things. God, help me not to seek satisfaction and pleasure. God, help me not to seek satisfaction in my stuff. God, help me not to seek satisfaction in success. I want to find my true satisfaction in you, Jesus. That's what it means to drink of Jesus, to go to Him daily, to say, I want to know you. Maybe you're thinking, here, I used to have that. I used to have that hunger for God at one point in my life. Maybe it was whenever you were a brand new Christian. Maybe it was after you went to a retreat or a camp or a, con- or a conference or after VBS. I used to love to read the Bible. I used to love to pray, and I couldn't get enough Bible teaching. But now I seem to have lost that. I don't have that hunger for God anymore. You've got to come back from that. The first step is to admit it. Confess that. The first beatitude says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That means that you acknowledge that you fall short. Then Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. You mourn over that condition. You know that is not where God wants you, and you ask him to help you seek him. And then here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, I want to seek that satisfaction in you and you alone. In the physical realm, if you lose your appetite, what does that indicate? It indicates there's something wrong with your body. Some of you may have known people that have lost their appetite, maybe a mom or a dad who's sick, and it indicates that something is wrong, doesn't it? If you lose your appetite when you have a flu or a virus, it's because you're sick. Something's wrong with you. In the same way, when we don't have, when we don't have an appetite for God, it shows us that there's something internally wrong that needs to be fixed. The reason that we so often lose our appetite for God is that we are filling our souls and our life with junk. We're filling it with junk instead of righteousness. That's why. I remember when I first experienced this. It was, I was in third or fourth grade and had just earned my first five dollars helping, helping an elderly neighbor um, clean up her yard on a weekend. That Monday when I went to school, I decided to, after school, I could walk, I was close enough to walk home, I decided to go to the store and spend $5. $5 on the 90s would get you a lot. Okay, I bought a 32-ounce drink for 32 cents. I bought gum, I bought donuts, I bought a bag of chips. And all the way home, I finished it. When I got home, my parents had prepared one of my favorite meals and I just couldn't eat it. I didn't have an appetite. I had no appetite for the good, healthy food that had been prepared by a love of my parents because I filled myself with junk. I think we've all done that at some point. You know, what? it's one thing to do that in the physical realm, and it's another to keep doing that in the spiritual realm. God doesn't want us to fill our life with junk, with the junk of the world. Because that will cause you to lose your appetite for God. If you feel like that today, that your appetite isn't what it used to be, take a good look inside. Ask God. Pray the prayer of David. God, search me and know my heart. See if there's any wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Pray that prayer and ask God to show you. Pinpoint those things that you need to ask for forgiveness. And repent. Turn back to God. Let him fill you. Come drink again of Jesus and his righteousness. I used to always say in my testimony that I took a thousand steps away from God, but he was always one step back. I've heard it said that there's a God-shaped hole, a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart, and since nature, of course, fills empty spaces, if we don't fill it with Jesus, guess what we're going to fill it with? Someone or something else. Maybe it will be a person, maybe it will be things, a hobby. Some of us have filled our hearts and our souls with junk instead of with Jesus. And so this morning, this morning the invitation is for you and for me. Jesus is saying, blessed, happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Filled with what? More food? No. More money? No. With a trouble-free life? No. Jesus is offering to fill you with righteousness. You will be filled with the very thing you want, church. Jesus is offering to fill you with righteousness and that's what we want. And it won't be a, like a ladder going up the wrong wall. It's the ladder leading up the right wall. The hunger and the hunger and the thirst the, and the, excuse me, the hunger and thirst are happy when, they're hunger, when they hunger and thirst after righteousness, because guess what? They receive it. That's the promise of Jesus. And so if this morning you are hungry, direct your hunger. direct your thirst to Jesus. There's good news if you're hungry there is someone who can satisfy that hunger and that thirst that you have. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, there's someone that can satisfy a weary and heavy laden soul. It's Jesus. He said, come to me. Find rest. If you're guilty, if you're feeling guilty about some things that you've done, there's good news. There's someone who can forgive your sins and remove your guilt. Come to Jesus and be restored. If you're feeling far from God, there's good news. There's someone who is seeking you, waiting for you to come back to him. These verses that we looked at today, they're meant to be the words of life for you, for me, even today. They're an invitation. They're a promise. So my encouragement to you is to take hold of his promise and let it become true in your life. Test it out. Try it out. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. You'll never run out. You'll never reach the limits. You'll always go on when he's your source, when he's the one you're seeking for. So why don't you make a decision today to do that? It doesn't matter where you come from or what's been going on today. Why don't you make that choice? The preceding message was presented by Bayou Vista Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about Bayou Vista, including contact info, go to the website www.bvbch.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.